In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and I hope you'll consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Today's guest on the podcast is a guy I've known for a while, but he's a first-time guest. It's Tony Annan, Academy Director of Atlanta United. How are you today, Tony? Very well. Good morning. There's nothing like a 25-degree temperature drop in three days to uh, signal fall is here. I love it. <laughs> Does it remind you of home a little bit? A summer back home? Yeah, this is summer. Not even this is summer at home. Yeah, today is. Yeah, cloudy and gray and no sunshine. There you go. So you've been now in Atlanta for I think twenty years, or the Metro Atlanta area. Is that correct? Twenty-four. Twenty-four years. What brought yeah. you here originally? I came over here and uh, played college soccer. So I came over. I went to Kentucky. Spent a year in Kentucky and decided I was, uh, it wasn't for me and I was heading home and I stopped in Atlanta for two weeks before my flight and I never left. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I missed, missed the flight and never left. <clears throat> so so what was keeping you in Atlanta? What, what, what engaged you? Uh, Buckhead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, some good looking girls and just, I liked the South. I, I liked it. I just didn't want to leave and the Olympics was coming and. I end up transferring, instead of going home, I end up transferring universities to play university soccer at Life University. Here in okay. And uh, my first apartment was right in the middle of field three. Was it seriously? Seriously, 1995, oh, so full circle. <laughs> well, this area's changed a little bit since then, huh? Yes, for the better, I think. <laughs> it was quite rough back then, so it's, it's getting better and better. So then you, you started to work with youth soccer. In the metro Atlanta area. Yeah, as soon as I transferred to Life, uh, a coach at Life was working at Conquer Fire. So he pulled me in there and I started coaching straight away. And then when I finished my degree, uh, Conquer Fire wanted me to stay on as a director of coaching. So they sponsored my visa and it all started from there in 1998. And then that has now transitioned you into... Academy director at Atlanta United. You were at first management uh, manager, mm-hmm. right? And then, but then that changed within I think six months yeah. uh, to academy director. Correct. So your roles and responsibilities in that position. What would you? How would you characterize that? Um, it's just changed again, really, because now I'm off the field, which is for the mm-hmm. first time in 23 years I've been not a head coach of an age group, um, which is strange, <laughs> and I'm dealing with that. But now my role has kind of evolved to managing the staff, coaching education, individual development, which is very, very important to us. Of the players or the coaches? Of both. Okay. But my remit with the players is now individual development. So taking our prospects, Mm -hmm. giving them extra, doing extra with them 
and trying to push and accelerate their development, uh, but also managing the staff's development as well. They've got personal development plans as well. So that and now <clears throat> also working closely with Glassy on um, the roster of the USL, you know, the access that academy kids have to train and play, so mm-hmm. managing their minutes with the USL mm-hmm. and just helping Stephen understand the landscape of USL as well. So my role has expanded, even though I'm still called the academy director. Mm-hmm. Um, it's expanded within the club. And I feel like I'm obviously achieving more in different areas rather than just standing on the sideline and moving a team up and down the sideline, which is what I've been doing the last few years, as well as everything else. So it's really tough to be a director and manage people and manage the program's details if you're invested in a group of players, because mm-hmm. that takes pretty much right. all day, every day. So that's it's been double pass coming through as standardised the academy director needs to be off the field. Okay. So, Some quick numbers on Atlanta United's academy. Uh, nine players have signed homegrown contracts, six with Atlanta United and three with Atlanta United 2, which plays in the USL and is coached by Stephen Glass, sometimes called Glassy, uh, which you just heard Tony say. Um, there are seven teams in the academy uh, starting at uh, U12 or under 12 uh, through under 19. Uh, in addition to the seven academy teams, there is a regional development uh, group in which the kids go and work out in regions and try to work their way onto the academy teams. Is that correct? Yeah, so regional development schools are part of a different sort of section of the club. Okay. But they are placed now all over the city um, where kids can get additional training with our method, and mm-hmm. with our coaching. Um, and we've taken two kids from those programs into our U12s this year. So it's just another way for us to identify players, number one, mm-hmm. but also obviously put our brand and the way we work out in the community. So the RDS, as we call it, is, uh, is really taken off and it's sold out pretty much everywhere. That's cool. So what is your method? You just mentioned method. Uh, our method is the word you use. What is that method? Just our style of coaching mm-hmm. and uh, our delivery of our sort of curriculum and principles of the game and how they're taught in a structured environment. Um, it's obviously different for the academy kids because we have more principles of play. We have a diff- we have periodization, so we can peak at certain times of the year. We mm-hmm. don't overload the kids, and but in the RDS, they just take, it's one day a week, so they take the way that we implement our training sessions, mm-hmm. and they take it out into the community and push it out that way. And I believe y'all have had more than 30 kids sign scholarships uh, with colleges. Is that correct also? Yeah, I think we're 30, 31, 34. 34. 34. <clears throat> 34 kids that have all gone D1. One kid went to JUCO, uh, junior college, just for grades. Um, but basically, I think 33 of them have all gone Division One and, and enjoying good college careers. So how many in a year, if you can estimate, how many kids do you think y'all scout? Uh, in Georgia and the Southeast because I know that the MLS has like scouting areas yeah I mean obviously MLS has free territories mm-hmm. where there's not an MLS team with a territory we have a full time academy scout now um, that was added last year and we have some per diem guys that are mm-hmm. out in the community and obviously being in soccer for so long a network of people that pass you players and sort of tell you about players mm-hmm. is um, is really unreal how many players get passed on to us. 
Um, we've also got the portal that is on Alani United's Academy website mm-hmm. um, where a child can go on, fill in, I would like to be looked at, and mm-hmm. here's my stats, here's this and the other. I think as soon as we opened that portal, there was 800 applications. Oh, wow. <clears throat> that somebody had to sift through and see if there were any, <laughs> any good players in there. But physically, I think we probably scout between two or 300 guys a season. Okay. Um, at different levels, tournaments, um, obviously games, when they come play here, we that's an idea. ODP comes here mm-hmm. and trains here, so we obviously have a look at that as well. So, yeah, we cast a pretty big net because we want to see the best players we can. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that our scouting system's being built out, I think we'll be able to get eyes on more players in more areas in the future. So how many of those kids <clears throat> get to take that next step, get get a tryout, and then get to sign? What would you put the number of percentage on? Um, it's a small percentage. It's not a huge percentage. Right. Obviously, you cast a wide net, and then you narrow it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but we bring in, I would say we bring in probably over 100 kids per season mm-hmm. to do trials mm-hmm. and spend time with us. And of that hundred, probably five to ten kids get invited to be full time with the academy. Okay. So that gives you an idea of sort of we're not looking for twenty guys per age group right. because we have guys that we're very happy with and mm-hmm. that are in the process of our development. But we've got to try and add the best players we can who have the potential to be a professional player. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we place the education piece very highly. So. If they're not going to be a pro, we'd like them to go to college and maybe come out a pro, or just come out of college and be a better person. So mm-hmm. that's why we cast our net so wide to see if we could find those players. And once the kids are in the academy, how many hours a week do y'all get to spend training them? And how many hours a week do they spend? I guess soccer out, or are they even allowed to do soccer outside of Atlanta United's academy? With a club team or no, team or when they are registered to the day and they're full time, mm-hmm. they can't play high school soccer. They okay. can't play club soccer. You know, if they want to do anything else, they have to seek permission. Okay, uh, we invest a lot of money mm-hmm. in per player um, over a year, so obviously we try to manage their load. Um, if we have, if the sta- if the training sessions are periodized for a certain time of the year and then they go off and do their own thing they can get injured we've had a few guys go and do extra training outside of here and got injured outside of here mm. therefore they miss their development time when they're here so right. they spend between the youngest kids spend about six to eight hours a week with us Okay, um, that's the 12s and then as they get older and they do a little bit more and a little bit more um, obviously video comes into it Strength training comes into it as they get older. Mm-hmm. So I would say our 15 through 19s probably spend, I would say, 10 hours in training and another two or three with games. Okay. So I would say we're aiming for 12 to 13 hours a week of intense, high-level training. Is that enough, do you think? Yes, as they grow. Because we've got to obviously limit limit the injuries as mm-hmm. well. Because if they get injured, they miss development time off the field. So I think we're right in line with certain European clubs now. Okay. When we're hitting that 10, 12 mark a week. Um, some of our kids that we call our prospects that have been earmarked as 
prospects, talent prospects. Mm-hmm. They get a little extra as well with an individual program, um, and they're selected by their performance. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously get a little bit extra here and there, like an hour or two extra a week, mm-hmm. which is where they they hone in on their individual objectives to try and work on their strengths and their weaknesses mm-hmm. to give them every chance of being a professional player. What is, if I have a kid playing soccer, what is the number one thing they have to be able to do or have to be considered uh, for even one of the regional things? Well, the regional things are open. You just go to the tryouts and... I guess to, to have success at the regional thing. What is the number one thing they've, they've um, done? For me, at, certain, at younger ages, it's technique. Okay. Technique, technique, technique at younger ages. It's, I'm not worried about tactics. I'm not worried about size, athletic prowess at younger ages. We have a lot of small kids in here that mm-hmm. we're hoping will kick on. Mm-hmm. Um, but technique, decision-making, intrinsic motivation mm-hmm. are the three things that we look for when we're looking at players. Are they intrinsically motivated? Do they carry themselves in a certain way? Is their character good? Mm-hmm. Are they good people? Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, great technicians with the ball, but decision makers as well on mm-hmm. the field. Clever mm-hmm. players are the ones that stand out the most. Other than that, I mean, you could be a, a specimen of a player mm-hmm. and fast and big and strong, but if you can't control, pass and move and make a decision, then you've got a limited sort of right. period where you will dominate. So hmm. That sounds familiar. I think I dominated at U10, and that was pretty much it for me. <laughs> I was motivated. I just didn't have a whole lot else after that. (laughs) (laughs) Talent will only take you so far. That is true. That is true. So what has been, do you think, your biggest success story with the Academy so far? I know that y'all have two pieces of of major hardware that the Academy teams have won. I believe two. I don't don't think I'm missing any. Am I? We have a few, but two big ones, yeah. Right, right. What is your, your... most satisfying success story so far? Um, to be honest, none of them none of them are trophies. Okay. As far as success stories, obviously winning a national championship is nice. It's a big thing. It was the first trophy in the cabinet downstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't judge winning trophies as success. Okay. I think that's just the gravy okay. underneath everything. Um, obviously the 14s going to Man City and uh, the Man City Cup that was great for them and it was a really big springboard for them but the success comes down to production of players and you've got Bello going from academy in that national championship team to the USL to the first team and scoring on the first team Mm -hmm. Uh, unfortunately got injured which held him back a little bit but now he's back again Mm -hmm. That's a big success story for the academy. Okay, it's it's what we're about. It's what what we need to do mm-hmm. on a constant basis. George Bello, um, George Campbell, right? Jackson Conway, mm-hmm. who I've had since they were twelve years old, mm-hmm. and they've stayed with me wherever I've been. Um, them them coming through academy and going into USL contracts and homegrown contracts, those are successes for me. Putting thirty one kids in college scholarship. On good college scholarships, mm-hmm. not just walking on in academics, soccer money too. Mm-hmm. Those are success stories for mm-hmm. me. Um, even I look at kids going into the cancer wards all 
during September on a weekly basis at 6.30 a.m. Mm-hmm. You're asking 17-year-olds to get out of bed and go visit kids in a cancer ward. Those are success stories for me. So trophies and accolades and those pieces are gravy. It's what substance do you have to say we are doing things the right way. We don't always win. We lose a fair few games by mm-hmm. experiment, not by pushing kids on. Mm-hmm. Having 14 kids involved in USL in the last 12 months, six of which have been playing in games and playing 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. Those are the academy success stories. It's not really about beating somebody 5-0 and saying we're top of the league. Right Now, we've done that. We've told our story. But now we have to judge our success on production and how we do things and who we are. I was going to ask you about George Campbell. I, I've watched him play a little bit with Atlanta United too. I got to see him firsthand uh, during the um, MLS All-Star Showcase uh, down in Orlando when they played uh, Atletico Madrid, and he looked just fantastic. Uh, he, he looked, you know, the, the cliche, the, a grown man among boys, but that's what he looked like because he's such a big kid. You could tell he's still kind of growing into his body a little bit, kind of figuring out coordination as he grows into his body. But if you could just tell uh, people a little bit about, you know, people, Miles Robinson has got everyone excited this year because he sat kind of on the sidelines for two years, watched, trained. I think people are kind of having that expectation for Campbell uh, now that he's played with Atlanta United too a lot and he's got his homegrown contract that will take effect uh, twenty twenty. January 1st, 2020. Tell people a little bit about Campbell and what you've seen from him as he's developed from, you said, 12 years old until now. Yeah. Um, George is a really big, satisfying story for me and for many different reasons. Um, He came from Philly Union when he was 12 because his family moved here. And the Philly scout said to me, yeah, no problem. I I don't ever see him making it. Hmm. And I actually told George that when he was probably 14 or 15. He got very upset about that. But I used it as kind of a motivation stick for him. It was like, look, these guys said you weren't good enough, and now I'm telling you you are. But if you ask me about George at 15, I would tell you I'd be 50-50 whether he'd sign a professional contract. Mm. Um, Why was that? Uncoordinated. <laughs> still. Gangly. Awkward. Talented, but... Quiet, shy, just he didn't say I'm a professional to you as a youth development guy. Okay. Um, and to be honest, he was always probably 16th, 17th man on the roster. Okay. Which is a great story. Right. right. He's got a growth mindset which allowed him to continue to be, for want of a better word, knocked down by not starting, by not being the starter, by not being the main guy. Mm-hmm. Never played on the national championship team, but few minutes here, a few minutes there. Was sub on the 17 team a lot. Didn't really know where to play him. Was he a six? Was he a nine? Was he a centre-back? So these are all the things that George has gone through uh, during these five, six years, right? And then we went to Mexico uh, two years ago and our centre-back drank the water. (laughs) Uh, And we were struggling. And we were like, what are we going to do? Honestly, I'll give Liam Curran the credit for this because a goalkeeper coach, a very good one, said, put George there. I said, yeah, George would be a six though. And he goes, no, but put, put George there. So we put him back at centre-back and he was fantastic. Hmm. He, I think it was Pachuca, 
who was the top team in Mexico and he snuffed them out and he did really well and that was it uh. he was a centre back from that moment <laughs> onwards and yes I have the expectations for George as, as Miles has grown through college George is going to skip that step and be in an intense environment like this where he's playing year round and technically and I think he's probably ahead of where Miles was when Miles was his age okay Miles has worked very hard on his game and obviously the, the rewards are showing now but I do put George in that mould and I would love to see George given a chance with the first team to see where he's at mm-hmm. even though he's still only 18 years old mm-hmm. so he's one of those if you if anybody wants to be inspired by somebody it's George because okay. he was down on the roster we didn't know where he was going obviously Maryland seen something in him offered him a scholarship he turned that down to come play professionally but for me he's the one of the biggest success stories individually that we could possibly hope for and hopefully he gets a shot and he takes his shot when he gets it yeah well that's fantastic now you have I was just reading about uh, one of your coaches is going to France to that uh, immersive licensing program Mm. over there you went through that I did there's been a lot of talk about the difficulty it takes for people to get licensed as as soccer coaches. Um, what is your take on on if that if you think that is accurate, and if it is, what needs to be done so that more people can become better soccer coaches and help develop, you know, future possibly MLS players? Yeah, obviously the French license is one where you have to be with an MLS club to get on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very very intense course. It does change you as a person and a coach for the better, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Both myself and Matt Lowry, who works here as mm-hmm. Matt Academy manager, we've both been on it. So we're hopeful for Steve, and he's I think he's going to do really well on it. I have this conversation with a lot of different people about coaching licenses, and I go back and forth. If you are what you say you are, and you love the game, and you this means everything to you, which a lot of people do say who coach, then honestly, you'll find the time and the money to do it. Mm -hmm. It's the same in Europe. If you go on the UEFA badges, you have to find the time and they're not cheap to do it because they're very good courses. Mm -hmm. I think the US courses have gotten better um, and have really made strides forward with their methodology. Um, But I don't buy all... I don't always buy... Well, I can't do that because I can't take four or five days off work because I work for a living. Mm-hmm. All right, well, what do you do with your holidays? If this is what it means to you, then would you not take your holiday time to go do it? That's just an argument I have with people. Right. Now, I get some people cannot do it, nor can they afford it. <clears throat> but again, can you do something to educate yourself other than a license? Mm-hmm. You know, we offer free education here. There's a lot of free education out there to go watch other people coach, to go watch other people do sessions. Costs nothing. Um, so that's my argument to them. It's, it's licenses are they show that you're into it. They show that you are able to do what you say you are, and the commitment that you give by doing a license is to show that it means this much to you. But there's also education out there for free that you can get. It just means time and sometimes a little bit of money, but more time than anything else. Okay. So I think the courses have come a long way. I think it's not always easy, but I think if you really want it, there's always a way 
to find how to do it. Okay. Let's say I'm a a parent teaching my uh, I'm coaching my under six kid mm-hmm. on his soccer team. What is the like one or two things that you would encourage them to work with the kids on, just so that they can, you know, keep a love for the game, develop a love for the game. Well, number one, if they're under six, there's no way you should be teaching them anything. Okay. <laughs> well, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> let them play. Okay. Let them play. Get out of the way and let them play. Okay, under tens then. Let's say under tens. What would what would be the thing? I'm still there. I'm still let them let play. Them, let them play. Just no, touching te- the ball. Technique. Technique, fun, fun activities that teach technique, that teach decision making without you telling them how to do it. Mm-hmm. Let them play. They have tons of time. Six, seven, eight, nine. They've got so much time to learn the game. Mm-hmm. They need to love the game. They need to just be free to enjoy the game and kind of learn themselves. Mm-hmm. Guided discovery is the technique I would use if I ever went back and I've got my kids two and a half right now so and my daughter's four and she's just getting into it as well and if I ever have to go back and coach them I would set activities up that encouraged fun love for the game but also try to help their technique and make decisions for themselves and stay quiet and let them ask questions and you ask them questions that help them learn the game but I see sometimes when I go around um, and I watch soccer and the kids are being told when to pass what foot to pass with and that isn't teaching them the game okay. that's taking away their ability to make a decision okay. and inevitably if you're going to be a good soccer player you must be able to make decisions in a split second so I know that's a long winded answer no, that's fine. At, young, at young ages make it fun let them play and let them enjoy the game because they'll learn themselves how to play they'll police themselves mm-hmm. um, and by the time they get into academies and listen there's a lot of good academies around Atlanta who do a lot of good work who are very organised and some mm-hmm. very good people teaching um, but the structure really doesn't need to be a big structure doesn't need to be in place until they get past 9, 10 years old I don't think so scrimmaging is fine at that age it's just short side where they can just touch the ball over yeah, and over small sided scrimmages is the best way of teaching the game Okay. as long as it's small sided it's not 7v7 mm-hmm. where they touch the ball every 5 minutes mm-hmm. you know I mean they need to be 3v3 4v4 where it's me the ball and my teammate mm-hmm. or me and my two teammates with the ball mm-hmm. that will teach them so much about technique decision making time on the ball and it will give them multiple touches in multiple situations. But if you take that eight-year-old and you put him in a 10v10 scrimmage, he's going to touch a ball every couple of minutes, and it's right. not going to be that much fun. Right. So I'm a big proponent of small-sided at younger ages because it's tighter, the more touches on the ball, more decisions to make, and it's fun. And when you say technique, a lot of people that listen to this podcast may think they understand technique. When you say technique, what exactly is it you're referring to? How they trap the ball? How yeah. they pass the ball? The ability to control and pass the ball and have confidence to do so. That's okay. the first techniques. And they'll learn other techniques as they get older, which is clipping the ball, you know, lofted passes, bending the ball. Mm-hmm. Those are all advanced techniques that will come as they learn the game. But them, them being able to control and pass and dribble. 
mm-hmm. under control at young ages is really the essence of the game. Okay. Control, pass and move. If they can do that and make decisions and they've got some sort of athletic ability, they'll be okay. okay. They'll have a career in the game at some level. What is the future of MLS academies, do you think? What do you see them looking like and being in 10 years, for example? Um, I think they'll only go from strength to strength. I think teams are now realizing the investment you can make in your youth academies that will produce homegrowns that you can sell, like Alfonso and people like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's Alfonso Davies of Vancouver. Davies, yeah. Uh, Hopefully, one day we sell George Bellow for 10, 15 million, maybe. Then the investment's obviously justified. But I don't see them going away. I don't see people going backwards from what they're doing. Mm-hmm. In the last five years, the investment that's been made by pretty much every team in the league, you know, I think the minimum budget for a, the lowest academy in MLS right now is probably 800000 to a million dollars. That's a big investment mm-hmm. every year. You've got some that are investing $4 million, you know, So anywhere between a million and $4 million per year in 145 players. Some academies start at 14. Some start at 12. Um, some are realizing that they don't need under-19 teams and because of their USL team. We haven't decided to do that because we feel like U19s are pawned. Um, but I don't see them going away. I just see them getting... More structure, more strength, better coaching, better resources, and I think they just keep adding to it. I mean, you look at Miami coming in, they've started with a full academy, they're building a full facility, um, LA. All of these academies that are now coming through are well-structured and well-supported and have mass resources behind them. So I just think it'll go from strength to strength and hopefully will produce more homegrown talent. All right. Tony, how can people find you on social media? Uh, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> Tony Annan 1. I'm on Instagram. Tony Annan 1. Um, that's pretty much all the social media I do. <laughs> and what is coming up for the academies that, that you would like to discuss or, or promote, to use lack of a better word? Uh, we've got trip to Toronto this weekend for the GA Cup, which is the MLS-only tournament. Mm-hmm. We play Cincinnati... And Columbus Crew with the 17s, and the 15s play New York City, Toronto, and Crew. Uh, they have three games up there. So that's our next big thing. And then the 17s go to Colombia to play Deportivo and Nacional when they come back from there. And then we head down to, and then we got into Miami in town the week after that. So we've got a busy yeah. few weeks. So heading into the break in December. All right. Well, Tony, thank you very much for being on the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. Again, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC, on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and please consider subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. 
It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologeticallyATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Constitution.